Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Betty, Girl Band the Podcast. This podcast is supported by Tomboy X, designing underwear and swimwear to fit your body and how you see yourself. Use code BETTY for 15% off at tomboyx.com. Also supported by the Apartment Lounge in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Come on in for a drink and tell them Betty sent you. And now, on to Betty, Girl Band. Hi everybody, it's Amy. It's Allie. It's Elizabeth. And together you know, we're the band Betty. Betty! This is our podcast from us to you. And it's our podcast for a very special holiday. That's right. Oh, say again, you see. That's correct. I've got a question for both of you. Are you ready? Got your thinking caps on? Yeah. When I say just one word answer, when I say the, a word, I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your head. America. Yikes. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> really? I think promise. <laughs> Maybe oh. that's, that tells who we all are. There's a promise of America that I'm hoping that we can all live up to, and I think that we can. I super hope so, because, you know, even before all this Michigas happened with you-know-who, who I refuse to call Valdemort, yes, I, I've never been really down with the patriotic thing. I mean, there's certain things about America that, of course, I love. Oh, my God, I love America. But there's certain things about the world that I love. So for me, nationalism and, and borders and flags and all of that stuff has always had a weird connotation. Even when I was little, I didn't really grow up on it. But I do love fireworks. I understand that. But I'm always a team person. I like a team. Yeah. I like my teams. And to, to me, if you can just look at it like a sports team, like it doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all of everything. But if it's just your sports team that's doing the best they can then I think America could be really great. And that's why I say promise. I am concerned about some things that are happening in America, mostly. Oh, right almost now? Almost everything. Yes. But I do, I question the whole kind of like flag thing sometimes. I mean, supposing women were in charge of the world and if we'd gone to the moon, would we have felt the compulsion to like plant our flag? That's one small step for man, for man, for man. I think that women would have put an earth flag up there. Right. Not to say, like, we are here in peace yes. as opposed to mine. Yeah, we are the world. I think that's what we would have done more <laughs> mine, for. This is mine. I don't know. I, I don't know. And the golf, the golf thing? I don't know what women would have done the golf thing either. I think that we, our sport would have been maybe Frisbee up there. Or maybe just sitting around and knitting. Horseback riding for sure. Oh, there, no, um, there's, the, there's moon. The, the women that love horseback riding and the other women that love monkeys. So maybe one would have had a monkey and taken it off the, um, the capsule. Whatever it's called. It's called a capsule, right? What are you talking yeah, about? I would love to know. There's two kinds of women. Ones that grow up with the pictures of ponies and other ones that grow up with monkeys. I didn't have ponies or monkeys. Neither did I, Elizabeth. What did you like? I like David Cassidy. <laughs> That's anyway, a combination of both. <laughs> we're getting far, far away from the whole idea true of that, True that, true that, true that. Well, I think it's safe to say that we have been able to represent our country really proudly as mm. U.S. culture ambassadresses around the world. I guess that's part of being activists and singing activists of that. We're always fighting and singing for change. I've got to tell you, because Pride was so close to the 4th of July this year, mm -hmm. I'm so excited that out of the White House they said no one can have a Pride flag on the flagpole. And the way Americans around the world responded by doing everything else they could to, to elevate the rainbow was absolutely thrilling. And that's the promise of America. It's wonderful in those embassies that said, uh-huh. And up the flag went. Or they did a, a giant painting on the building behind it instead. I know, yeah. that's great. I think everybody does their protest and their activism and their love of their country or whatever it is and their community the way that they want to. And we hope that you celebrate your July 4th the way that you want to, whether it be protesting it completely or shooting your own fireworks off 
or just having a backyard barbecue oh, with your the, fam. the BBQ. Oh, yeah. It's all thing, about the BBQ. No matter what you're doing, you must be listening to this podcast. Otherwise, it would be completely unpatriotic. <laughs> we want to sing our version. Actually, we want to play you the version that we sang in 1912. Ooh, was that it? one? No, Let's no. do that one. Yeah, that was in 1993, was it? 1993, mm-hmm. yeah, at a, a huge pro-choice march on Washington. And this is our version of what we want, we still want, to be the national anthem. We have decided in 1996, Betty will be running for vice president and Gloria Steinem for president, That's ladies right. and gentlemen. What do you say? You, Gloria. <laughs> we got the t-shirts and everything. And the first thing we're gonna do when we become vice president for you is we're gonna change our national anthem, just a little bit, but enough to make it inclusive and wonderful for each and every one of us. Say can you see? Oh, say can you see? Oh, say can you see? Oh, say can you see? From sea to shining sea, from sea to shining sea. sea. Here was 1990s, the early 90s when we just come to New York where we just traveled for the first time to Canada. Mm-hmm. All kinds of wonderful things happened, including the fact that we just got our brand new lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then we realized it was time to start recording. We were approached by a guy named Glenn Berger, who had seen us at one of our shows and really wanted to record our song, Fun Girl. Fun Girl, an homage to Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. Hello, gorgeous. What you gonna do? 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 Shoot the swan. These lovelies. These lovelies. interesting version of it, Loved it but we couldn't we ended up not being able to use it at all mm-hmm. and then very cl- very soon after that mike thorne wanted to do a whole record with us mm-hmm. so we recorded the record here at so the stereo society thrilling. and we called it hello betty you walked into my life and then write out people people who need people are the people 
wrote a piece for the Washington Post about birthing this record because it was so dear to us. It was like the first baby that we were birthing. This is before any of us had kids. And um, it was such a project and such an artistic endeavor and something that we were waiting for for so long because we'd been artists and we'd been playing and all around the countries, but we just hadn't had any kind of recording. Also, because so, our live our live show was so it was so live and it was such a mishmash of performance and music and all this other stuff that we we yeah, didn't trans- really we didn't know how to translate what we were doing to a three um, D to two D yeah well, exactly absolutely. exactly well that's why Mike had such great ideas it was mm-hmm. really fun and so some of the songs we've been singing for five six seven years we finally put them down a song that we had from HBO Echo which was a huge hit. Amy rewrote the lyrics to it to make it more of a song song as opposed to teaching kids about how do you make an echo. And that was one of the songs that we recorded. Around the same time, the people from HBO came to us and invited us to do music for another show, also educational, but slightly different audience. Instead of going for children, this show was called Real Sex, and we were to do the theme song, which we gave them the song, Flick That Thing. Flick the truth, baby. Find the time. See you find the time. Oh, did we get a whole bunch of different fans after that one? Yeah, those were like creepy weirdos sitting up late at night watching porn on HBO, basically. <laughs> and but it was Patty Kaplan who had been the one of the one of the producers. executive producers of uh, Encyclopedia that asked us to be, and she's actually really rad feminist. She That's how I got the job. Patty Kaplan and Franklin was another producer over there, mm-hmm. fabulous. Mm-hmm. And and Joshua White from Joshua White's. Light Show was the director of Encyclopedia. Oh, that's right. Right? I and forgot about spectacular. that. And I ran into him not very long ago. And I just love, it's so fun to see people on the streets of New York. My new thing that I say to everybody was like, I thought you were dead. <laughs> no, I thought you died. I thought you were dead. I thought you died. You know, the good thing about being around for a long time is that you make a lot of friends in the business. But the bad thing about 
being around for a long time is you have a really long time to make enemies. So you have to kind of... Um, or I don't feel like I've made any well, enemies. I think we made one, and it wasn't we. It was Amy. Hi, I'm Tony Origlio, and I was first the publicist for Betty, and then managed them for a bit. It was quite an exciting time for me, as they were already getting a lot of buzz in New York City and Washington, D.C. We also all traveled to L.A. to play Cafe Largo and literally took Tinseltown by storm. We set up lots of meetings and auditions, and things were really cooking. Well, Betty will tell you what happened next with one exec at Fox Television. We went into... We went into uh, this guy's office, who, who shall remain nameless. Oh, no, no, no. Name him. What's his name? Oh, I can't even Stephen. remember. Stephen. Stephen. We went into an interview. It was for a record deal, no, right? It was well, for a television had, show. Let, let's, let's go back. We've had, as Betty, 32 managers. Like every other day, someone wants to be our manager, which mm-hmm. is great. And we're always really enthusiastic about it. Yahoo. Well, we had one that was really great for a while there. Really, really great. Tony Riglio was mm-hmm. like, like amazing and got all these wonderful things for us. And he decided that we needed to have our own television show. And so we set up these fantastic meetings and nothing really clicked until we got to the very, very top of Fox television. And we had a meeting with and we were all going to be on our best behavior because, you know, we had a tendency to be, be dismissive. Ve- be, no, no, be very strong and very feminist. Strident and that, is a good word. Strident. And it didn't really cut it in the business. I don't think it still does, frankly. Anyway, this guy had come out to Los Angeles and he'd seen us perform. And he called this meeting. When we sat there, he... he started being very aggressive to us, kind of dismissive. He said, well, I was at your show in Los Angeles and I saw a lot of gay people there. No, lesbian. There were a lot of lesbians there. No, he said gay people. He said gay it people. It was before the lesbian thing. It was Lesbian before, like, is what I remember because I was like, wow, that is so, it was so specifically female and anti-female that it set all of our, the hair on the back of our necks. That's, I remember it was more, it much was more gay. about gay. It was just gay. It there was much more about gay because was that was, it was more freaky to him. Yeah. You know, because we were playing at the Largo and there, we had a big gay audience and i said well, yeah that's wonderful for us we we love having our gay audience and how no what you said was no yeah, no, no, no no so uh, yeah oh. i said yeah so and that put him on edge so automatically there were the three of us who already were like are you fucking kidding and then him which was like yes i'm the power man and i'm going to smash you and, tony and all these fox people and poor tony who was like please everything that we told him he said well i'm afraid that that wouldn't work or i'm afraid that that's too specific to a certain group of audience or I'm afraid that you're thinking kind of too much outside the box so everybody's so, quyet for a minute after he finishes I'm af- his I'm afraid tandem, destroying all of our cool ideas basically and also pretty much telling us that we're whatever so Amy takes a breath and I know what's going to happen and then she lets him have it this I is say, what she says it sounds like you have a lot of fears so I think you should take all of your fears and put them in a box and take the box and put it under your pillow and sleep on it and maybe in the morning all of your fears will be gone and you know when you say it like that it sounds actually rational in the room it didn't in the room it sounded so hostile that there was like a such a silence that came down it was super hostile he stood up 
And that was the end of the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and we all walked out and we actually didn't even talk about it. It wasn't worth talking about. It. We just left. Yeah. And poor Tony Origlio. There was God no going him. back after there Amy's no box. Go- after after the Amy's box. box. Well, well, box. He, he had no intention of giving us anything or even that. listening to us. No, he didn't. Uh, oh. He didn't from the very beginning. Anybody who starts something off with a, with a derogatory statement about the fact that you've got a gay audience, yeah. F you. That's not our person. You well, know what I mean? But not only that, it's we've had so many meetings with so many assholes. Well, we've also had meetings with a lot of people who really cared and really yeah. wanted us to do something, but they wanted us to be a very specific way. I remember meeting with Arthur Spivak and he was like, you have too many different things. You need to just be one thing. Mm-hmm. What if you were just doing acapella, sort of like revamped Andrew Sisters, which is, you know, perfectly valid idea for someone, but it wasn't for us. I mean, they're just, you know, we're, that's not who we want to be. We're way too ADHD to have just one particular. That's true. The one person that who totally got us, who didn't want to change us at all, and only wanted to bring us to a wider audience, was Chris Young. Chris Young, we met him at Comedy Central. He was working and had seen us, and he was just so fun. And we became friends instantly. And he was an Insta fan, and he really loved us, and he just wanted to help us and put us on Comedy Central and do more things for us. He never ever said anything disparaging about what we were doing he only loved it right he loved what we did and he still does he's still a great friend and fan mm-hmm. so he put us on lots of different things uh, lots of different shows we got a chance to collaborate with him for things and we also introduced we had a great him. home in comedy central we did a lot a lot of fun things. and we introduced him to debbie harry for which he is eternally grateful My name's Chris Young. I first met Betty in New York in 1990. I was working for an agent at the William Morris Agency named James Dixon. And James had seen Betty and he took me to a show to see them. I believe it was at the bottom line. I remember we brought them in for a meeting. So I took them on because I fell in love with them right away. I just felt like, well, there's so much that could be done with them, you know, as a as an agent. So we we worked together uh, for quite a few years and then when I went to Comedy Central where I was a talent director, I, I basically brought Betty in on everything I've ever done professionally just because I love them so much. Another thing about Betty that really stuck out in my mind, and in those days, in the early 90s, I had to be very deeply in the closet. Back then, people didn't know I was gay except for my friends, but work-wise, no one knew. And I probably would have lost my job at William Morris if they had known. I remember being really amazed by the fact that Betty saw me. Because, you know, when you go to a Betty show, everyone's invited to a Betty show. All creeds, all sexualities, all colors, all everything. I just love that about them. We've been in each other's lives now, probably forever, and I hope it always stays that way. Comedy Central had a show called Out on the Edge. And when Chris started uh, working his way up to uh, be planning and also able to hire us, he had this great idea that we should write the theme song, which we did, and then perform a couple of different segments during the show. And that happened for three years, I think. It was great. It was really fun. I remember they built a big theater in Tompkins Square Park. And Tompkins Square Park is right here in the center of the East Village where all kinds of bands always come anyway. So the energy was really great. Mm -hmm. And it was also in Los Angeles. That was fun Mm -hmm. that year, too. And when were you really pregnant that we were doing that? uh, That would have been 2003. 
Yeah. So that was the, the last one we did was in 2003. Right. Where said, I was literally 10 days before I gave birth to Ruby. That's you hold a- your water to the last note, basically. <laughs> and I literally did. Chris moved to Los Angeles because he fell in love with John. John Canale, phenomenal writer. And hilarious. And John ended up putting us on a bunch of stuff too. It's wonderful when people who really get you and have an opportunity to to give you you know, a wider audience. It's really wonderful when people work with you like that. I think you're, we're convinced, or I'm convinced anyway, that the only way that you can get ahead in this business, if you're a little bit different, a little bit weird, is if, by, is by the kindness of your friends who see you in a, in a wonderful light and can help you. You know? Well, yeah, but then also we have our fantastic fans. I right. mean, the fans have never gone away. I remember way back in the beginning, back in the 80s, before we even thought about moving to New York, we had a group called Some Fans. And no matter what we did, no matter where we put on a concert, they would always send us a big bouquet of flowers. We never found out who they were. To this day, we don't know who they were. I thought it was Millie, but then... I asked people. Him. People say that they weren't, but it was just, it's wonderful. And from the very, very beginning, literally, that's how you have a career, even more than the friends that help you by giving you television shows, which is also amazing and fantastic. Just people, anybody who comes and plunks down however much it is to come see a band that they like perform live or to buy a CD, that's everything. It is everything. And just in case people who are listening to this podcast, and have known about our band and have supported our band for many, many years. Just in case you th- don't think for one red minute how grateful we are for your support over the years, think again. Seriously. Because we really are. Otherwise, we'd just be three schmoes sitting around a living room telling stories. <laughs> just like this. But without anybody else listening. So thank you. In the early 90s, there were so many great places to play in New York and so many great bands doing it. Mm-hmm. Riot Girls were starting to pop up in some places. The Gorilla Girls had just ended doing the art thing. It was mm-hmm. So there was a lot of excitement. I remember we loved playing at the bottom line, of course, but then there was Mercury Lounge and the Bowery Ballroom. Mm-hmm. We played at Meow Mix and we'd already played at a lot of the, the dance clubs. So there were a lot, a lot, a lot of fantastic things happening all over. Uh, Meow Mix was a rock and roll lesbian club. Oh, it was fantastic. And it was really fun. I've never never ever seen anything like it it was know? sort of the answer to the la um to the west coast riot girls because there was this whole really like rocking chicks thing that was happening at meow mix it was yeah like super Luna fun. chicks and people like that but mm-hmm. she, they were before that um and they were they were they were big Luna uh, chicks lp who's out there now just mm-hmm. a lot of people that i i know now are, are all came from there mm-hmm. that place underneath um under Acme. Under Acme was fun. Mm-hmm. Also, the place under Fez, Fez was really Fez fun. Fez was so That was more great. of a, a, a glam-up, uh, glam kind of glam, cabaret. but also it also had the subway going by. Remember, every 20 minutes or so, there'd be the whole thing would, would rattle down to the ground. Good times. <laughs> <laughs>
There was lots of art, too. From the minute we first came here, artists were all over Basquiat, was painting the streets, the, the subways, the walls. There was so much color exploding in the early 90s in New York. It was really thrilling. I remember I, I went to scary. a party when we... The, First year we moved here, I went to a party with my uncle, and it was a very, very party. It was art. It was an art party, and I remember that we were sitting on a couch. Everybody was doing drugs and drinking, and it was somewhere in Soho, big artist loft. And I remember he said, "Oh, look over there! It's Keith Haring and Basquiat." I didn't really know who they were, so I was all, <laughs> "Wow, cool, Lloyd." <laughs> and now, of course. You know, I think about that, and it was so interesting because I did recognize Keith Haring because he was just starting to break. I didn't really know Basquiat, and it was one of those parties. I think Debbie Harry was there. I think maybe some of the B-52s were there, and I do remember that that at that time, Sarah Lee, did she introduce us to the the B-52s? Because we met them right before Cosmic Thing came out. We actually did a... Um, yet another, you know, we're always doing huge activist things outside. We did a huge one down in D.C. about PETA. For, that's where we met Dan Matthews, and we started doing some things with them, and that's where the very first time I remember meeting Fred and Kate, because they came out on stage with a monkey, and that's where I remember meeting them for the first time. Yeah, they, I mean, they were huge. And we were wearing our encyclopedia clothes. We were doing a lot of MIDI stuff, and I remember that the power went out, so we had to, like, literally shuffle all of our stuff mm-hmm. to the side. By MIDI, she means electronic. We had a yeah. lot of electronic music we were doing. Mm-hmm. So we ended up singing a cappella mm-hmm. because which we had we to. Could, which luckily we could do. Yeah. We did our entire set a cappella and people went kind of nuts. It's yeah. funny really because thrilling. we started a cappella then with other instruments too and then gradually expanded from there brought mm-hmm. in some other instrumentation but we always do acapella i don't right. think we've ever done a show in all these years in 34 years have we ever done a show that didn't have at least some element of acapella i don't think so later i, I think it was from sarah because she was playing with the b-52s and they had just finished recording their album cosmic thing so kate who's so wonderful and is is a wonderful friend now she invited us to come to sir to listen to them play their their album Brand new live album. yeah and there were only about 50 people invited so we were sitting there and it was super fun a really great thing but they played one song and all of us freaked out and at the end of the show everybody like gave them a standing ovation and said man you've got a great album there but all of us said play that song again and it was amazing then and now love shack it was called love shack and it was just one of those songs when you hear we had goosebumps and everybody was dancing and then it that record exploded june 1989 that was literally in the first year that we lived here can you imagine my goodness that was so exciting to come from dc which was great but really super political and most mm-hmm. of the things we were doing was was like you know yelling and screaming that things should change and then to come up here and it was brilliant it was a fantastic time to be coming to new york city For you to fall from grace Sitting idly Buying shadows Pulling out for your mistake We've been patient So understanding And just a matter of time Through the daylight Comes the darkness And your venture over the line Well now you made it A come inside Oh now 
Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. podcast was recorded, engineered, and produced by Elizabeth Ziff in her studio in New York City's East Village. This is what Betty remembers, so accuracy is suspect. Music clips and other credits. Neil Armstrong, astronaut recorded in 1969, Walking on the Moon. Betty sings Oh Beautiful at the National Pro-Choice March on Washington in 1996. Fun Girl by Betty, produced by Glenn Berger, unreleased. Fun Girl by Betty from the album Hello Betty, produced by Mike Thorne. Echo by Betty on Hello Betty album. Flick That Thing by Betty from the album Limbo Land. Kissing You by Betty from the second On The Edge special and on Betty 3 album. Clip from the 1976 television miniseries Sybil. If I Had It Over To Do by Betty from the off-Broadway show album Betty Rules. One of Us by Betty from Carnival. Star Spangled Banner. Betty dedicates this episode to Fred the Cat. Rest in peace, little friend. I'm Danny Weishoff, and I've known Betty since I was too young to listen to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It's all about word of mouth, so tell your friends. And I'm Nikki Weavers, signing off from London. And I do this because I want to.